Freedom Hut. Hunter Biden and an FBI money laundering probe. NBC News tries to make more disinformation happen. The final lockdown push. Libs try to blame Trump for everything. And Brett Favre and Lil Wayne go for Trump. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters. With actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Great here, great America. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, my friends. Mere days away from the big one. Election Day. What? Over 80 million people voting early. Anticipation could not be any higher. I cannot remember an election in my lifetime where there was such uh, such a, a focus on this from so many people in so many quarters. I think in part because we're all stuck more than ever at home. No distractions of big groups and concerts and crowds and things like that. Less sports, less connectivity with each other. So what do we have? This intense focus on our politics. And, and also, the truth is that our politics might end up either freeing us or making us even more uh, locked down and miserable. So that's a big choice that we face right now. And that's something that's going on here. I, I want to start with uh, the Hunter Biden money laundering allegations, though. This just came out yesterday uh, and a, a hat tip to James Rosen over at Sinclair for being the guy that broke this story. He says the FBI, or at least FBI sources have confirmed to him that there was in 2019 an open money laundering investigation of Hunter Biden. Now, now, this is big for a lot of reasons. And let me first just say that there is zero interest, zero interest in the media in touching any of this. In fact, NBC News has put forward some 60 some odd page disinformation, fake intelligence thing that they're, they're debunking the fake intelligence. They say no one's even heard of this or seen this before. But their claim is, well, because we found something on the Internet that isn't true about Hunter Biden, clearly that means that what you guys all think you have with this verified laptop and the emails and the photos and the on the record sources saying, yeah, that's me. That must be disinformation, too. Yeah. NBC News putting out disinformation to say they're fighting disinformation, which is pretty much where we are now with with the journalists in this country. In fact, journalism is never going to recover from what the journos have done to it. That's where we find ourselves. Doesn't matter who wins this election. It's not going to change. We see who they are. We know what they're doing. And this Hunter Biden situation has broken any any last defense they have of, well, we're we still try to present just the facts. We still try to be honest with people about what's going on and not bring our partisan bias to it. So here's why the money laundering situation is so fascinating. First of all, it makes perfect sense. When you see what we already know, that there would be on the that there would be on the record sources talking about millions and millions of dollars changing hands with a Chinese company setting up LLCs. What exactly was Hunter Biden supposed to be paid for here? Consulting services? I mean, how different is this really from the Chinese Communist Party saying we're going to start buying Hunter Biden's finger paintings at a million dollars a pop? 
because that's about what Hunter Biden's consulting is worth. So clearly something is up. We've known that all along. This is not the market speaking. This is an influence peddling scheme. And as I have been saying, how is this not illegal? At least someone involved in all of this must have been engaged in quid pro quo corruption. Now, the answer to the question, as you already know, is it's not illegal because they won't charge it, or at least they haven't been willing to yet. And that's how the Democrats play the game. The law is just a function of who's in charge and what you can get away with at any point in time. That's what the law is really about. There's no underlying foundational right or wrong. There's no greater goal or greater good. It's who's got the power to get what they want when they want it. But think about this. The United States Congress, with a Democrat majority in the House, of course, on a party line vote, impeached the president of the United States. And then Senate Democrats, plus Mitt Romney, Rhino, uh, voted to remove President Trump from office because he requested a foreign counterpart look into allegations that there was corruption going on with Hunter Biden. They said this was all fake. You remember this? They pushed this whole impeachment narrative by promising the American people, the Democrats, the the journos, the mainstream media, they promised, they assured us there's nothing there. There's no, no corruption whatsoever. He was trying to get the Ukrainian government to manufacture corruption allegations. Here's the problem, friends. That never made any sense. It was always an obvious lie, but now we can prove it. Because what you really have is the president of the United States talking to a foreign counterpart on the phone and asking about something that not only should have been investigated by Ukrainian authorities, but was under investigation already by U.S. federal authorities. Sorry, there's no exemption for Hunter Biden gets to break the law because it would look bad for daddy. It doesn't exist. And yet this information did not come out. I, I will ask you this, and we all know the answer, but it's, it's worth posing the question anyway. What do you think would have happened if Donald Trump Jr. was under federal investigation for money laundering while Donald Trump was running or while Donald Trump was president? Do, do you think that that information would have stayed under wraps? Do you think that would have been kept quiet? No, as we know, there are deep state Democrat and leftists out there who will break their oath to the Constitution to attack this president. They will disclose classified information. They will violate the privacy of American citizens using the intelligence apparatus to do so, as we saw with General Flynn and the leaks that uh, were published in the Washington Post about his phone call. Again, another phone call, nothing wrong with it. He said nothing wrong, and he did not lie. Yet he's still facing prosecution. Yet he's still facing this Kafkaesque nightmare of a judge who won't allow the prosecution to end the case. It's also transparent now, isn't it? It's also very clear. Whatever it takes to defeat Trump. However they have to lie, however they have to change the subject when that's necessary, whatever they have to do 
to stop President Trump, the mainstream media, the Democrat Party entirely justifies it. Whatever works. Hunter Biden was under FBI money laundering investigation, and they impeached the president of the United States based upon the premise that he was creating, he was fabricating the possibility that the then vice president's son was going around the world collecting millions of dollars for nothing other than a bribe. Let's use the B word, folks. It was a bribe. Get your dad to like us. Get your dad to do what we want. Get your dad to be in our pocket. Here's a million bucks. Here's five million bucks, 10 million, whatever it is. Yeah. Venal, corrupt people, friends. That's who they've offered up to take over for Trump. And remember, the biggest pitch they give you for Joe Biden is you can trust him. He's a good guy. He's an honorable. He's an honorable guy. That's just all a fraud. That's all branding. It's all PR. As I've been telling you all along, Joe Biden's just about Joe Biden. Everything else is a distraction. Everything else is a complete myth. And now we see it with the Hunter Biden uh, FBI investigation. Let me just say this. Money laundering, if you get caught doing it, penalties are very severe. And when you're moving money from overseas into newly constituted LLCs and taking consulting fees, and that's all. That's all the kind of stuff that raises red flags when they're doing financial audits, when they're doing a forensic analysis of your financial activity, something I know a bit about from my days working in the counterterrorism beat. When you start looking at bank accounts and money, one of the ways you get people is on their financial crimes. There's a lot of ways that this can go very badly for somebody who happens to come under the eye of the federal government on this issue. And then there's the other possibility, and one that I don't think we'll find out before the election, but it completely, it would add up, wouldn't it? Hunter Biden's under, under investigation for money laundering. You don't think that there's any way that maybe they created a dummy LLC? Just a straightforward, limited liability corporation for consulting services from China or from Ukraine or wherever. Notice how it's always these countries, too, that are shady and corrupt and have opposition to U.S. interests at heart. You know, it's not he's not doing these consulting agreements with the French. You know, he's not doing them with Canada. But if you were going to try to funnel money to the big guy, you know what you'd have to do? You'd have to create pass throughs and LLCs. You'd have to engage in money laundering to hide the source of money to get it to him. And if you thought that nobody would ever look into your stuff and that the guy you were passing money to was either going to be the most powerful man in the world or a close friend of the most powerful people in the world. You might even engage in a bit of recklessness. You might even have a bit of hubris about what you could get away with. You might even be Hunter Biden. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. It was a wonderful birthday present for Hillary Clinton to confirm Amy Comey Barrett to the Supreme Court Monday night on her birthday. Oh, I'm sure she was so grateful. Cocaine Mitch letting Hillary know, throwing a brushback pitch to Hillary there, letting her know. That's right. Still not President Hillary. I like when Mitch gets a little feisty. I like when Mitch decides to, to let it rip a bit. Friends. 
The only the only way we get justice, the only way we get to a place here where there's accountability for all the lies that have been told in the media is if we win. We won with Amy Coney Barrett, and we need to win both the presidency and the Senate majority. We need to keep it. Or else it's going to be a tough four years. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be rough. It's not going to go uh, the way it should for this country right now. And it's in part because the elites are entirely unrepentant about any of this. Even Bernie Sanders out there, who's worth a few million dollars himself, he's admitting that, yeah, you know what? The Democrat Party is the party of coastal elites. Play two. You're making a very important point that is not made often enough, to be honest with you. And that is, I think it is fair to say that in many ways, the Democratic Party has become a party of the coastal elites, folks who have a lot of money, upper middle class people who are good people, who believe in social justice in many respects. But I think for many, many years, uh, the Democratic Party has not paid the kind of attention uh, to working class needs that they should have. See, the Democrat Party is controlled by people who don't care about working class people, aren't working class people, and want to do whatever they can to make sure that they don't suffer from any of the social maladies that they inflict on working class people, whether it's through defunding the police or unrestricted illegal immigration or all these different things. Uh, they they want to make sure that they get to live in very wealthy enclaves, watch CNN or MSNBC at night and think that they're good people because they care so much about the poor people. And they've just convinced the poor people, the people who are low wage or low income or whatever, whatever the preferred nomenclature is of the moment. They want to convince people that are in the struggle. Let's say that with, with say that I say that respectfully, people that are struggling to make it happen, make it all come together. Democrats want to convince them that they care about them really for the benefit of Democrat power and also because the people that run that party like to feel good about themselves. They have no connection. It doesn't matter to them. They don't live in poor neighborhoods. They don't live in high crime areas. But what they've managed to do is convince a substantial portion of uh, the low low income Americans. Remember, most low income Americans are white. Uh, I think that's often left out in discussions about this, but they've uh, they've managed to convince a large portion of low income Americans who are non-white that they must vote against Republicans just because Republicans are racist. That's the real pitch. Republicans don't like you for who you are. A vicious lie. But that is what they've done. The identity politics that they rely on is toxic, but useful for them. And so that's where we continue to be with all of this that's why bernie sanders even recognizes uh you know the wokeness this is going to be this is a self-fulfilling prophecy for the democrat party where no one is going to be acceptable to the inner circle of a democrat party it's going to just keep consuming itself kind of like the soviets and the politburo under stalin you know no one is going to be left-wing enough if they get their way and so they're just going to go through these constant spasms these moments of panic things like the the blm rise this year oh my gosh you know all the left wing oh anything for blm and corporate america everyone bending the knee did that help working class people did blm make any neighborhood safer i mean that's really the the biggest political contribution you could say this year 
from the Democrat Party, that and terrifying everybody beyond reason about COVID-19. So BLM, that's a movement that's supposed to be about helping the oppressed. And it's supposed to be about defending those who can't defend themselves. Very worthy goals, if that's in fact what's going on. Did that happen? No, it didn't happen. What really did occur as a result of BLM? Um, People who were paid a lot of money to be in newsrooms or on air-conditioned, comfortable TV sets with lots of lighting and hair and makeup assistance and everything, talked a lot to other people who can work remotely at home and still get their paychecks and, you know, have have plenty of money to spend on the fanciest lattes uh, to convince them that, you know, they're the good people because they care about BLM. That, that's the whole system. It's all a charade. They didn't do anything in poor neighborhoods, minority, uh, minority, majority neighborhoods that have high crime rates. They didn't do anything for them. It helped them. And in a sense, that's just a microcosm or that's just another piece of, I think, very compelling evidence about what the Democrat Party has become today. While Joe Biden's out there talking about jobs and helping people and all this stuff, we're going to take more stuff from you. Give it to some other people. Make sure they get their votes as a result of that. Tell people that, you know, the Republicans don't like them because of their ethnicity, their race, their religion, whatever it may be. Identity politics, the, you know, spreading the, the virus of spiteful identity politics, which is what Democrats do. It's also destructive. It's really quite ironic that the Biden campaign's slogan is build back better, because like so many things you see from Democrats, they're telling you the exact opposite of what the truth will be. Now, they're not going to build back better. They're just going to take more from you and give it to other people and then make sure that they get their vote in the process. And that's all that matters and not even make their lives better. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. But we are ready. I feel very confident that Joe Biden will be elected president on Tuesday. Whatever the end count is, but on the election that occurs on Tuesday, he will be elected on January 20th. He will be inaugurated president of the United States. So while we don't want to be overconfident or assume anything, we have to be ready for how we are going to go down a different path. What the heck does that mean? He's going to be elected no matter what the fine. Hey, he'll be elected. Doesn't matter if he wins. He will win. He'll be elected no matter what the final vote counters. Did you catch that? It kind of got lost there in a big old Chardonnay glass with Nancy. Uh, what was that? No matter what the final vote tally is, he'll be the pre- Joe Biden will be the president. You imagine if Trump said that it would be its own news cycle for 24 hours uh, or if anyone who supported Trump said that. But that's uh, that's where things are the, uh, these days, friends. Um, and. You know, they're boarding up stores right now in D.C. as we speak. That's how much Democrats care about democracy. I just want to know, is this a little bit like the sports team fans who will riot and light cars on fire when their team wins and when their team loses? I mean, do Democrats riot no matter what after this election? I'm, I'm thinking probably. And the bigger point for me is, OK, uh, why is that OK? Why is it normal for us to just assume and, and everyone does assume that there will be Biden voters, people of the left, whether Antifa, which, as I say, is, I believe, a mental illness, um, Antifa or 
BLM activists or whatever the radicals are calling themselves in that moment, they're going to destroy stuff in a place like D.C. If stores are going to be looted, it's not going to be anybody wearing MAGA hats. Why is it that Trump supporters are just more lawful, more law abiding in their uh, in their public actions? I mean, I'm asking that question rhetorically. I, I could go into I think details about why that is. I think the left is the party of the mob. I think they believe in moral relativism and me, me, me and emotion over reason. And there's a lot, but we just accept it. And they act like that's not something we should point out. We shouldn't stand back and say, hold on a second. They're boarding up stores in preparation for the election in case Trump wins. And then we know there's going to be violence and mayhem in the streets. Hmm. But vote for that party. Vote for the party that seems so comfortable with the lunatics who are entirely within its confines. That everybody just goes, eh, I guess there's going to be some rioting if Trump wins. You know, what can you do? It's the price of democracy. Hmm. I disagree. Um, But this brings us to our recurring conclusion here, which is that the left has absolutely and completely lost its mind. They are nuts, right? The, the far left, the Democrat Party in particular, is just, compl- is just bonkers. Simply and utterly bonkers. And they're not going to rein them in, so what happens in a Biden presidency? Well, I think we all know. It becomes the stealth AOC left wing of the party presidency with Joe Biden mouthing the usual pablum, you know, putting out the usual nincompoopery about, oh, we're going to build a million jobs and we're going to do this other thing. And, you know, no joke, man, period. No joke. Yeah, it's going to be a really inspiring presidency. So that's what we're facing. And you also will have the prospect of the same media apparatus, the apparatchiks of the MSM, that have made it, I mean, it is beyond any, not even a reason, it's beyond an unreasonable doubt that they're Democrat partisans. We couldn't have any more proof at this point. It it, it couldn't be any more clear. They've shown us. I mean, they've effectively signed sworn declarations. We are, you know, CNN should be DNCNN, right? I mean, these places are completely in the tank for Democrats, actively working toward their reelection. They should be paid employees of the Biden campaign at The New York Times, at CNN. These are places that should just be honest about what they're doing, but they won't do that. They won't do that because they still like to pretend, even though nobody who's intelligent and informed believes these places are honest anymore. There's a a weird joy that the left wing Democrat audience gets over what from watching news organizations that are just feeding them what they want all the time and telling them that it's neutral. See, I I watch the neutral stuff over at MSNBC. I I watch the real journalism on ABC News. These places are all jokes. And I think the Internet would have already broken many of these institutions if they could not count on the assistance of the tech giants, too. It's unfortunate. I mean, really, conservatives, I wish... I wish we would understand the game that we're in here. I wish we'd understand that we've got to start controlling institutions, too. Any institution that is not controlled by uh, conservative interests who will at least keep it fair will be far left. That's because they purge. 
because like all authoritarians and totalitarians, they can't abide other thoughts. Oh, what's the latest example of this? Glenn Greenwald, who is a left wing guy. And I don't mean a little bit. I mean, Glenn Greenwald, you have never heard somebody say so many uh, favorable things about Palestinian radical terrorism who's a mainstream journalist, as you will, Glenn Greenwald. Right? I mean, this guy, he's a man of the left. There's no question about it. And you do get the sense that he kind of hates the U.S. federal government as a general proposition. That said, he does do what he says he will do, which is chase down stories that are of interest and print them regardless of which party will be affected. Now, I'm not saying he does a perfect balance, but I don't think anybody could do a perfect balance. He's still a man of the left. But he will write things and he will say things that libs do not want to hear. It, it should be noted that there are there are journalists on the left, Glenn Greenwald, Matt Taibbi. You know, there are a handful of them who disagree. They disagree with you and me on almost everything. I mean, 95 percent of stuff, maybe more. But they were willing to just look at the insanity of the Russia collusion farce. And say, guys, there's no there there. We got nothing here. There's no evidence for this. It's just relying on a lot of innuendo from Democrats working in the federal government as nonpartisan intelligence professionals to then journalists who quote each other about the nonpartisan anonymous sources that are leaking them information when they never even see the information and they don't know. There's no verification. And the whole Russia collusion thing was... The self-immolation of journalism in America. And a couple of people on the left, Greenwald was one of them, were, were willing to say that. They were willing to be honest about it. And for that, they should be commended. Credit where it is due, as you know. One of my mantras here on the show. They deserve, they deserve the, you know, the high five for that. Well, uh, Greenwald founded this far-left publication called The Intercept. And they've published some very nasty stuff. And, you know, I, I think that I have a slightly different take on this whole thing than everybody else. And I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, a variation, not not a, a, a overwhelmingly different takeaway, but a, a variation on it. It turns out that when Greenwald wanted to print something recently at The Intercept, which he is a founder of and which was funded by a left wing billionaire named Pierre Omidyar, who founded eBay. It turned out that when he was doing this. Right. When he was uh, trying to write an editorial the last uh, last week or two on uh, Joe Biden and the Hunter Biden, it was really about the Hunter Biden emails. The people that are the managing editors at The Intercept, this far left publication that's supposed to be unafraid, straight journalism, truth to power stuff. That's the mission of the organization. Well, what, what Greenwald found out is that that's a fraud and that that's not welcome on the left. And he had these uh, these editors. Remember, he's the founder of the publication. This would be like someone coming on the Buck Sexton show and telling me what I can talk about on radio. Like, that's not going to fly. He's the founder, but he's being told by his editors, you can't write that. And he's published the exchanges and it couldn't be any more clear. The rationalizations, the you know, the it, 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 what you see are people who are like, you can't write that because that'll hurt Joe and we need Joe to win. That's it. And this gives you a window into the mentality that exists at every media publication that is about news in the country. 
that is not identified as at least right of center. Every single, and there aren't that many right of center publications, every single news publication in the country that is not right of center has that same mentality. Every single one of them, without fail. There are people, if not everybody, the, the majority, the decision makers, will shut down a story because it hurts Joe. Yeah. Because they're all doing one thing and one thing only, trying to get this guy elected. And they view that as their purpose. Because think about how much value there really is in what many of these news organizations do. I'm just going to take you in a little bit of inside baseball here for a second. A lot of them do just aggregation. They do reprints of AP stories. They change the headline. They throw a couple of photos up and they share it out on social media. Their real value add is in editorial and in commentary. That's the truth of most news media organizations these days. But they're not honest about that because then they're just competing with other people and it's, well, who's a better polemicist? And they have to be held to account for what they write as opinions instead of, oh, I'm just reporting, man. I'm just doing my reporting. But it's not true. What I think is so interesting here for, from the perspective of Greenwald, who's now left, he resigned from the publication he founded because of the groupthink and the willingness to prostrate themselves on the left entirely for the support of Joe Biden. Well, he should be commended for that. But I also would note, you know, the, the left is where this is happening. This does not happen on the right in this way. And there's a reason for that. Because the left wing of American politics has embraced an authoritarian view. And they've been taught to weaponize institutions and government as just instruments of raw power without any good faith or without any sense of shared principle with the other side. They have been going scorched earth for a long time, and that's the only thing they know how to do now. They don't know how to have a conversation in between two sides that both have valid points of view. They only have, you stop because your words are like violence. You can't say that. That's sexist. That's racist. That's fill in the blank. Is it? Well, I mean, do we ever get to, is it a fact? Is it true? Is it an opinion? Is it policy? You know, no. It's sexist. It's xenophobic. Hmm. That's all. That's all that it comes down to now. Name, name calling and deplatforming and doxing and punishing ideological opponents. This leads to bad outcomes. When, when you see the nature of the, the individuals and the ideas at the heart of, say, the French Revolution, it's not surprising that about fifteen to 20,000 people were taken to the guillotine, a vast majority of whom did nothing to anyone, right? It's not surprising. When you see, when you understand the nature and character of the people and the ideas at the heart of the Soviet Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution, that led to the Soviet Union. There's nothing, nothing surprising about that. And when you see what the left wing of American politics has turned into today, just this, this, uh, this vicious, preening, you know, idiocy brigade, it's not surprising at all. And so there's a part of me that says, well, good for Greenwald for walking away from, what he, from the fact that the place is a fraud, but also, maybe there's some lesson to be taken here about 
how if you're going to be a left wing journalist, you're going to be surrounded with frauds all the time. Because that is actually the culture of the left now. It's not an exception. It's the rule. Maybe there's a little bit more that one should look into here. And also the ideas that all those people hold. Problematic. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I have many people who I love in my life. And yeah, I come from a red state. I've lived in several red states. There are a lot of friends who I had to really get rid of because they they are so nonsensical when it comes to this issue. They have the whole every single talking point that they hear on state TV and that they hear from this president. They repeat it and they are blinded by it. And I just when I said to you the other night, there's no way they can't believe it. They can't, you know, I was just goosing you in a way. Right. You know what they say? I was, you know, um, you're Break, goosing, goosing I was breaking works. your, you know, you goosing works. Won't like, okay. it's not like that'll be all over. The Continue. <laughs> so, but here's the thing. Um, I, I had to get rid of them because they are too far gone. I try and I try and I try. They'll say something really stupid and then I'll show them the science and I'll give them the information. And they still repeat those talking points. And all the while, the state was a hot spot. <sighs> you only see this on the Democrat side, really. You only hear about it, at least on the Democrat side, people that. Say I, I had to cut someone out of my life because they would not share my politics. In fact, there have been a series of these uh, TikTok videos of people. One guy was even made a TikTok video about how his dad was dying and he was going to have to cut his dad out of his life, even though his dad was dying toward the very end because he was a Trump supporter. And then the big moment of happiness and this guy lights up toward the end of his little video is, but my dad told me recently that he voted for Joe Biden. And it's like, well, now I love my dad again. This person's a psychopath. That's that's weird. That's not normal. All right. People have different views of a lot of things for a whole bunch of reasons. Your personal relationships, the way you treat people around you, the way you conduct yourself in your day to day life. That's what really matters. One vote out of 150 million that are 160 million that are going to be cast means nothing. Now, that said, go vote for Donald Trump. Don't don't pay attention. to But you know what I mean? Morally, ethically speaking, when you're talking about family members and every year, the Democrats have these. It only happens to the Democrat side. How to talk to your crazy conservative uncle. Well, first of all, why is the conservative always the uncle? Conservatives are like the moms and the dads. <laughs> OK, that's why it's always the uncle. But no offense to the uncles out there. I'm one. So I'm in the uncle category without a kid my, of my own yet. Uh, but they always have this this need to act like they're there's some tremendous forbearance that they have to engage in just to have people around them that don't agree with them. I actually rather like having conversations with people that don't agree. I, I like arguing even with my own siblings about, you know, how I think a movie is terrible that they think is great or that I think a person is really cool that they think is awful, or whatever it is. Exchange of ideas is, is about intellectual vitality. The left wants none of that. Conformity. The false security of consensus. They're obsessed with it. It is central to left-wing thinking. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, let's check in on Bro Cuomo for a while, a.k.a. Fredo over at CNN. Is he a journalist or a commentator? I don't know. We should ask, we should ask CNN Media Relations that. Bunch of jerks. 
but here, here he is, and I got to tell you, this is getting me kind of excited. Uh, when Cuomo starts talking like this, play clip five. His message is take reality with the pandemic as reality. That's why he's been hesitant out on the hustings, because it's a weird mixed message. If you bring people into a group where they can get exposed, how are you about recognizing the pandemic? That's why his crowds look like this in Florida today. You got them masked up, their distance, some are sitting in their cars. This is a new era, right? I mean, we know rallies are not a good thing. So it's like the era of the drive-in rally. Now, Trump is literally surreality. It is surreal. If he wins, it is a figurative middle finger to math and to COVID and acceptance of the is what it is recklessness as this virus continues to wreck us. And is an extended middle finger, but it's mostly to the media, the libs and the Democrats. So he was close. He was close. But I love that to math. Also, uh, where was where was the extended middle finger uh, commentary from Cuomo? When there were thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, when you add up all the different cities gathering together all summer for BLM protests. Remember that? Oh, but but that was important. Yeah, that's delusional. It was destructive and it was based in lies, but important, they tell you. Yeah, that's pretty fun, isn't it? They act like we don't remember this. They really to, to believe the left wing talking points on covid. You just have to not have a memory. That's very important. Uh, you have to forget what you've been told for the last year, what they've been saying and what has been actually happening all around you. Um, that's that's something that you you must do. Uh, for example, I mean, Chris Cuomo continues here with uh, with his version of why people don't want to wear masks. Play six. Look, vote your conscience. Vote for Biden. Vote for Trump. As long as it's fair and they're counted, works for me. But please don't see defying masks as a, as a way of showing support for Trump. Don't get yourself sick to show a sign of support. And look, the same people who want to come after me for going for runs without a mask. And look, that's fair. That's fair. I don't wear the mask. People should call me out on it. I'm OK with that. But the same people are neglecting to tell you that this president is putting you in jeopardy. That's the true hypocrisy. Now, he doesn't seem to understand here that for a whole lot of us, I don't want to wear a mask because I don't want to wear a blanking mask. That's why. And the reasons are that it is annoying, uncomfortable, and I don't think it does very much to protect me in a whole lot of circumstances where I'm currently required. To, in fact, I know it is pointless in many of the circumstances in which I'm currently required to wear one. So it is a it is a demand of, of subservience to anxiety, control and stupidity out there that has overtaken the public. That's what it's actually not about Trump. I, I, I would not want to wear a mask, even if, by the way, Trump has been saying wear masks. He tells people wear a mask. He's been saying it for months. And I still the only reason I do it is because I don't want to get into fistfights every five minutes trying to go about my life in New York City. If I'm going to be indoors with people who are at high risk and it makes them feel better, fine. Sometimes, yeah, may, because even then a minor uh, benefit of, of limited transmission, I think, could be, you know, and, it, and it's also less of an imposition. The problem is they keep making the imposition more and more. Right. It was it was wear a mask if you're sick and then it was wear a mask 
uh, only indoors for extended period of time. And then do you know how contract uh, contact tracing works? They only ask you because I had to go through this in New York City. They only ask you about people you've been around. This is if you have covid uh, for 15 minutes or more indoors. So if you walk past somebody or if you stand in an elevator with somebody that that doesn't count. So the contact tracers that we were supposed to rely on to. I remember when they talked about how that was necessary to get this under control. Let's talk about math. Yeah. You got a what? A, few, a couple thousand contact tracers trying to chase down 50, 100,000 cases a day. Good luck with that. Nobody should have thought that that was a serious plan, but they did think it was a serious plan. See, I, I remember the things that they've told us. And I've also seen how this has been used as a political weapon at every opportunity in ways that are disingenuous and ways that I think also are destructive by pushing the balance here. Because yeah, there should be a balance between public health and public freedom by pushing the, the balance entirely in favor of public health at the expense of our most basic freedoms and changing that risk calculation so dramatically. They've also caused a lot of really horrific uh consequences downside the uh, number of people dying from undiagnosed cancer from drug overdoses just the way that our public health mental and physical health has been deteriorating during all of this and they want to keep this thing going they think this is great Fauci thinks this is a good move you know the only reason we weren't in this sort of like you know every man for himself uh, you know do your best attitude from the very beginning of this was because they told us that hospitals were going to be overwhelmed. That was how they got us into this. Oh, now we're going to have the collective, like the hive mind, determine what you can do, who you can see over Thanksgiving, and uh, and and have this this continuing. Okay, yay, the cases went down for a bit, but it's only it's not because a lot of people got infected, and this is just the way the virus is is transmitting. You know, then the cases come up. Oh, it's because you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough, and then they make us do all these annoying things, and then it keeps spreading. It keeps spreading. But then after a few months, oh, the cases start going on. Well, it's because you finally listened to us. That's why the cases are going down. And then the virus doesn't really spread that much in an area. And everyone's still living with these restrictions. And then all of a sudden it goes up. Oh, you're not. You know, we see how this goes. I remember what they were saying and what they've told us in the past and what they're saying now. And it doesn't add up. But you see, they think that people like me have problems with this stuff as some show of fealty to Trump. I don't give a what about the Trump view on whether I should and the, or the Republican view or anything else about whether I should mask sitting down in a restaurant like as in going to sit down and then sit there and eat for two hours without a mask on. I don't care what anyone that's that's idiotic. I don't care what I don't care what Fauci says. I don't care what anyone says. That's the dumbest policy. And that is the policy in New York City. And I think it's the policy in other places, too, probably in Los Angeles where they had the mask up between bites of food. You know, that's also the kind of mentality that leads us to have people who are supposedly health experts and look, the health community and a lot of doctors have looked like complete jackasses throughout this whole thing. A lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them, uh, you know, wear a mask during um, sexual relations. Now, look, I mean, whatever you do with the, you know, the husband or the missus behind closed doors is your own business, but I'm saying you know, wear a surgical mask to protect you from COVID while you're doing the horizontal mambo. There are real articles. You can find them where that's actual medical guidance that's out there. We're supposed to think that that's not dumb beyond words. Look, when people get really scared, they do stupid things. They say stupid things and they're very easy to control. And that's what has been happening. 
and Democrats have liked this. What, what they really don't want is for you to spend any time thinking about how much they've been wrong in the past, what they used to say, because a normal person who's not in the grip of fear would listen to what they were saying now with, with keeping in mind that they've said stuff before that wasn't, wasn't exactly uh, making a whole lot of sense, was it? Yeah. Um, here you go. We have 14. Play it. Just you and me wearing these masks, doc, what Dr. Fauci and what Dr. Shukat have said is that could actually sometimes be more harmful to you than not wearing a mask, because if it's not fitted right, you're going to fumble with it. You're going to be touching your face, which is the number one way you're going to get disease is unclean hands touching your face. In terms of wearing a mask, our advice is clear that wearing a mask, if you don't have inf an infection, really reduces the risk almost none, not at all. So we do not advise that. Well, it's important for folks to know that face masks are not recommended for the general public. Uh, there, there are two things people should know. Number one, if you wear a face mask and you're not wearing it properly, you're going to be more likely to touch your face and you can actually increase your risk of getting a respiratory disease like coronavirus or flu. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. That guy, we are told, you heard Dr. Fauci at the end, has been working against infectious disease and pandemics for, what, the last 40 years? That was what he said earlier this year. Now... He looks at you like you're some kind of troglodyte if you don't immediately strap on that mask all the time. I mean, what else do you need to know, folks? But they've convinced themselves because the left politicizes, the Democrats politicize everything. They really think that the opposition to masks is like, yeah, because Trump doesn't like masks. No, because we pay attention and a lot of this stuff is dumb and I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to be in the gym alone Wearing a mask, which is what happens these days. I don't want to be on a treadmill wearing a mask. You know, all you have to do, and this has happened to me a couple of times. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be honest about it. You have one or two really wet sneezes with one of those surgical masks on. You change your mind on wearing masks all the time real fast. They think it's all about politics. That's because that's how they view everything. I want this to end. If Joe Biden came out and he was like, look. I think everybody should do this for their own safety, but we're not going to mandate this. It's not the government's role. There's not the science to back up taking this position anyway. And we know that as a policy, it just aggravates people, exacerbates divisions, and, and it hasn't worked in Europe. So do whatever you want to protect yourself. But none of this, like, you can't go into this place. If a private business wants to, fine, but that's not what we have. We have government mandates for businesses. No more of that. I'd say, yeah, I like what Biden's saying on masks. That's where I mean, he's, oh, he'd never switch his mind like that. Listen to Fauci. Listen to how he switched his 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 uh, tune on this one. You know, the mask, maybe it works a little bit. Yes, maybe it works a little bit. Not enough to annoy the crap out of everybody with these stupid mandates and this virtue signaling of masking all the time. If you're in a room with somebody who is shedding this virus and you both have little pieces of cloth on your face and you're breathing in the same hour, uh, same air for, you know, an extended period of time, you're at risk. End of story. So all this stuff, oh, but I'm wearing a mask. You know, 
I mean, you're wearing a re- respirator. I mean, if you want to go around in a hazmat suit and have something that's actually filtering out particles so small that it would include the virus before you can breathe anything in and it's keeping it from being able to get to your... Yeah, sure, but you know, do you want to live in like a scene from the movie Outbreak for the rest of your life? I don't think so. But I just... I'm sorry. I, I just can't help but notice they think that this is like, yeah, MAGA, Trump, I'm not wearing a mask. No, it's a dumb idea and I don't want to do it because I actually think about things irrespective of what the political party decides. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Governor, few people uh, have a better understanding of how to manage the pandemic uh, than you do. Uh, What is your prediction for the country as we head into winter? You know, I think uh, it's what the scientists said. The the difference that uh, we've made in New York is we followed the science from day one. We followed the facts. This is a virus. It doesn't respond to politics, right? Uh, just listen to the scientists. They said in the fall it was going to get worse. They said the weather gets colder, people move indoors, you have schools opening up, colleges opening up, which have been a real problem. Uh, so it was going to get worse. And uh, we prepared for it. Testing is the best thing that a state can do, the country should be doing. This is like asking the captain of the Titanic for advice on iceberg avoidance. Notice the way that The View, a bunch of you know Democrat propagandists who don't read a lot, uh, sitting there, their, their position is that Cuomo is some kind of a, of a hero for how he has handled this. This is the guy who, and and this is a a classic moment of Democrat gaslighting, the worst single decision-making and response to COVID, the most wrong in the, with the most catastrophic consequences of anyone, I would argue, in the Western world, perhaps on the globe. Cuomo's the worst. The governor of New York, the absolute worst. And yet he's treated like he somehow has... um, managed to figure this out he's managed to pull this all together it's crazy my friends i mean it's completely absurd but it is where we are right now it's where we are right now they'll just make this stuff up and then you've got uh the the vaccines you're noticing you're not hearing a lot about vaccines these days you're not hearing much discussion about where the vaccine status may be so i i want to share this with you here is the vice president play 10 we reinvented testing we saw to the manufacture and distribution of billions of supplies of ppe we developed medicines known as therapeutics that are saving lives and we are on track to have the first coronavirus vaccine before the end of this year with millions of doses for the american people So there you have the guy in charge of all that. There you have the guy who's, you know, running the coronavirus task force. And here we have uh, a situation where the left is going to claim that it's not true, that he doesn't know exactly what's going on somehow. Play 13. This is basically, let's call it halftime in the game, right? We went through the first phase. Uh, We had a brief respite before the fall, and now we're going to have the fall and the winter, 
and then vaccination, which is a whole <laughs> long, difficult process that the federal government hasn't even started to focus on. It's not about finding the vaccine. Mm -hmm. You then have to administer 330 million doses, right? You don't have to administer 330 million doses, you moron. If they get if they get 30 million doses of this out, a tenth of that to the people who are at highest risk because of their age and comorbidity. That'll that, that, the death toll from this virus, assuming the vaccine works as advertised, is going to plummet. And for everybody else, it's like a bad flu or even less than that. In some cases, it's le less than a bad flu, right? It's just like having a virus you don't even know you have. You have to get every man, woman and child vaccinated against this right away. But so does he not know that? No, it's just here's another chance. Here's another chance to take a shot at the federal government. Here's another chance to, you know, take a take a swing at the Trump administration. It's it, look, it's a cheap shot. Can you imagine what, what are what are we going to be doing if Trump wins and then the vaccine is out there? And then the Democrats are going to be involved in so much undermining of vaccine safety. They're going to be anti-vax only on this vaccine. Oh, oh, I don't know about this. And look, for those of you that have real real concerns about the safety of this, I'm not talking about you because this is a fast vaccine that they pulled together. I'm saying they will be opposed to this only because good for orange man, bad. That's all that matters. Nothing else. Whether people will die because they don't get the vaccine, because the media is going to be engaged in all this fear mongering, that is irrelevant to them. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the final countdown, the last days before the big day, and we wanted to hear from the campaign just to get updates on What's going on? What they're up to? How the president's going to be making his case here? And for that, we've got our friend Steve Cortez in the mix. Steve is a senior strategist for the Trump campaign. He's out there making the case, and he's got his finger on the pulse of just what Trump twenty twenty is up to. Thank you so much, Steve, for joining. Appreciate it. Hey, you bet, Buck. Happy to be here. So, how are we looking, Steve? Give us the give us the real deal. I mean, look, I know you and I both know Trump is we hope going to win, right? Okay, skip that for a second. What's happening right now? Yeah, no, listen, let me give you reasons to be hopeful. I'm not just uh, not just sloganeering. Uh, I like our momentum right now. Now, listen, we're taking nothing for granted. I believe all of these swing states are still in play, and it's going to come down to, to game day turnout. And when I say game day, I really mean these, these yeah, I should say game days, because uh, it's through the weekend, really. Um, but here's why I like our momentum. Number one, there's economic momentum in the country. That's really pretty fantastic. Uh, we just continue to get out day after day, just an absolute deluge of data all of it pointing to an economic renaissance in this country this country is surging and roaring back to life economically it's because of the trump policies it's the trump boom 2.0 and the american people uh cite in, in all polling and i have problems with a lot of public polling but in all polling far and away that is the number one issue on voters minds it's also where i think we have the most compelling case to make so that's the affirmative case for trump and the and the other reason by the way speaking of polling even though i don't like the numbers uh that a lot of public polling come up with because i believe that their inputs are wrong and they're skewed against us i do think that momentum matters in polling in other words if it's tightening uh, versus widening that does matter as long as they're not changing the methodology right and if we look at the real clear politics averages of these swing states all of them are tightening 
Um, so those averages still show us losing those swing states. Now, I don't believe we are, but regardless, they show us they show us losing by less. They show these uh, these races tightening, and I think that is accurate. Um, and then the other reason is, quite frankly, the word is getting out about the Biden-China pay-to-play scheme. Uh, this is the biggest story of the campaign. I mean, clearly, this is a bombshell story, the fact that the Biden family, which I really call a cartel because that's what it operates like, that they have been selling influence and access all over the world for years, but including to the two most dangerous enemies of the United States, Russia and China. Um, and to get really specific, that much is proven, by the way. I mean, that's not supposition, right? It is proven that Hunter was being paid and other family members being paid lavishly by the Chinese Communist Party. Now, what is what is credibly alleged, and I want to be precise with my words, Buckeye, because we can't quite prove it yet. Um, but there, there is very much very credible evidence to, to suspect and to believe that Joe Biden himself was involved in this scam uh, in a dirty money deal with the CCP, that he was personally involved in, in executing it and in the proceeds. Uh, that question has, of course, not been asked of him in any legitimate way other by, than by President Trump. The campaign hardly addresses the issue because they hardly campaign at all. Uh, but and despite the efforts of corporate media doing it's just making a willful decision to ignore the biggest story in the country with a nice assist from big tech suppressing the story the story is getting out um and it is helping us and we're seeing that in some internal numbers the negatives on joe biden are going up the american people are realizing he's not the nice guy from scranton that the corporate media wants you to believe he's a dirty washington politician who spent 50 years in the swamp and uh, and much of that time screwing over american workers and taking dirty money from communist china we're speaking to steve cortez trump 20 20- 20 campaign advisor, senior advisor for strategy and uh, a former uh, CNN contributor alumni, just like me. So, Steve, yes. we've got that. It's, it's like we've both survived some kind of a war. So we've always got that in common. Um, That's right. Yeah. Cra- crazy place over there, man. It just got, kept getting crazier, too. But we'll have that conversation another day. Steve, uh, let's talk about the uh, the Hispanic vote in this. Sure. Um, there have been some reports, news reports that uh, Hispanic voters, there's there's two dynamics playing out. One, they're not showing up for Biden in places like uh, southern Florida, Miami-Dade County, as much as had been hoped. And two, some of them may be breaking for Trump in larger numbers than had been anticipated. What can you tell us about that? Yes, listen, no, that is absolutely happening. Correct on both counts. Um, and by the way, again, I don't love public polling, but just to cite some, the latest Fox News national poll, and, and I'm not cherry picking a good poll because that poll didn't make us look good. But within that poll, the Hispanic number was pretty outstanding. They showed 42 percent nationally among Hispanics. Uh, we believe we're doing slightly better than that. And we think we're going to have a shot at actually winning the Hispanic vote, but certainly north of 40 in our view. And again, we're not being cocky about it. We've got to earn those votes all the way to the finish line. But a couple things are going on. Number one is Hispanics are, are statistically uh, the most entrepreneurial demographic in America. We, we love to start up new businesses, mom and pop operations that we hope become bigger than that. And the president has been amazing for entrepreneurs, particularly when it comes to deregulation. Tax cuts were key, but I think for entrepreneurs, it's the regulatory relief that is really the, the jet fuel for entrepreneurial zeal in this country. And Hispanics know that. They know what was happening during the first three years before the China virus, and they know what's happening again right now in this country. I'll give you one other quick stat that I think is related. Pickup truck sales just hit an all-time high in the month of September, which is pretty astounding uh, when you can 
consider, you know, that just five months ago, this country was locked down, right? So the fact that we're back up, we've, we've reclaimed the pandemic losses in truck sales and surged to a new high in pickup trucks is amazing. And the reason I'm connecting that to Hispanics is uh, pickup trucks are used for work. They're used for the trades. A lot of Hispanics work in those kinds of businesses, construction, landscaping, um, all those sorts of things. People who work with their minds and their hands. Uh, the people Hillary Clinton uh, decries as the deplorables. So the Hispanic uh, population, particularly Hispanic men, are really rallying to President Trump. And then specific to Florida, you know, as you mentioned, Dade County, Florida's Hispanics are different in that so many of them come from Venezuela and Cuba, uh, that they are keenly aware of the dangers of socialism, right? Because the, either they or their ancestors fled from those brutal regimes in Venezuela and Cuba. Uh, and when the when the 2020 Democratic Party lurches to the left and starts to dance with socialists like Bernie Sanders and AOC, uh, that may be very pleasing in faculty lounges and cafes in Brooklyn. But it's not cool in South Florida. It is not okay with Venezuelans and uh, with Americans of Venezuelan and Cuban descent down there. So I think they have really hurt themselves with that community and we're benefiting. Speaking of Steve Cortez, Trump 2020 campaign senior advisor for strategy. So, Steve, there's only a few days left here. What is I look, I know the president's he's just he's going all out. You know, he's at that point in the race where he's the legs are kicking and he's giving it all he's got, as is everybody else who's a part of his campaign team, yourself included. If he's going to focus in, though, on one or two things in those swing states where based on what we've seen so far, based on what the data is telling the campaign, he could still he could still move the needle. What is it? Yeah, listen, I think it's the economy. And to get even more specific than broad economy, I would say income. And I've spoken to the president about this, and he's armed with some statistics uh, on the you, – you can break down the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, – when they do their monthly payroll reports, most people obviously just focus on the national, but they break it down actually all the way to metro area. So let me give you a specific example. Today, he's going to Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, Rochester, Minnesota, the, the income gains there as of the September report are year over year 13% average wage gains in rochester minnesota that's pretty incredible when you consider that this most of this year has been marred by COVID, right and that's a tough comparison because you're comparing to september of 2019 it's year over year the economy was humming last fall right and nobody had even heard of the china virus yet so it's a tough comp not only are we beating it but we're beating it by double digits i mean that's real money in people's pockets that's hundreds of extra dollars every single week for working class folks uh, that they have gained in the last year the more i think the president points that out and points out that that is all it risk if you elect joe biden he's going to inflict the largest tax hike in american history uh by a by a mile on this country he would also take us black back to a place of economic submission to china and again in minnesota minnesota according to the economic policy institute which is a left-leaning think tank minnesota lost eighty-eight thousand manufacturing jobs to china once they entered the wto in 2001 uh, joe biden was a principal architect of those terrible trade deals that allowed china to abuse our american workers including in minnesota so i think we make that kind of granular case as he's barnstorming the country this is what you have gained this is what's at risk uh, i think it's compelling and i think that will get people to the polls steve if you had to tell us one place where you think if i'm putting you on the spot here but don't worry we're only we'll only this is what we do we'll only bring it up again if you're right but if there's okay. one place where you think people could be a little surprised not necessarily just that trump wins but by the margin of victory that, you know, if you're is, is there one area where you think we could get sure. a surprise that defies expectations? I'm sorry. One no, state. I mean, I'm happy to put myself out there. I get, I'm going to stick with Minnesota. I, I think not only we're going to win Minnesota, 
I think we're going to win it handily. Minnesota has not been won by a Republican since 1972. That's the year I was born, and I'm not a young man, Buck. Uh, by the way, that was also the year that Joe Biden was elected in the Senate. Think about that. I mean, I'm a middle-aged guy. He was elected when I was in diapers in 1972. But anyway, I, I believe we're going to win Minnesota. And let me give you a couple reasons why. Uh, one is Ilhan Omar. Uh, I can't tell you how despised she is in, the, in that entire state outside of her district. Um, and she has been really useful for us to point out just how radical left the 2020 Democratic Party is to convince Minnesotans that this is not your parents or your grandparents' Democratic Party. This is not the Walter Mondale Party. This is a very – it's Ilhan Omar's party. They are driving the bus as far as policy. And then the second thing – I mean it's tragic, but it's the reality. It's just the riots. The riots in Minneapolis were so terrible. They caused so much damage uh, in this country and really, frankly, scared, legitimately scared, rightfully scared a lot of people, particularly Minnesotans. So I think those two factors, in addition to the affirmative case that we're making on the economy, tell me that we're going to make history in Minnesota and I, and I don't think we're going to just eke it out. I think we're going we're gonna to win. That's a bold prediction, Steve Cortez. We like, we like that stuff, though, here. Thanks so much for joining me. And Steve Cortez, uh, senior advisor for the Trump campaign, everybody. Steve, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Buck. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. It is up. It is out. The Real Dracula podcast, just in time for a Halloween, my friends, as promised. So for those of you who are uh, listening on one of our wonderful affiliate stations all across the country, we've got 180 stations, give or take. Um, I, I know some of you probably maybe don't listen to podcasts. This is only available right now on podcast. So it's a great way to introduce yourself to uh, that medium. And look, it's about Vlad the Third, Vlad Tepes who is quite a figure from history. Yes, a sadistic, mass-murdering, impaling maniac in some ways, but also a pretty effective military commander and a guy who lived in an incredible time and fought against the Ottoman Turks and maybe saved Europe. You could make the argument, or at least was a part of saving Europe from Ottoman conquest. Amazing story. And uh, I think you'll really enjoy this podcast. So you just go to wherever you want to listen to podcasts. The iHeart app is a great one. Um, Spotify, super easy. Type in the Buck Sexton show. And then just remember, it'll say Shields High, the real Dracula under the Buck Sexton show feed when you go to it. And then you just it's free. This is totally free. I just, I just want you to listen. And I there's some violence described impalements and so on. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if it's little kid acceptable, but I, I think I think your thir- 12 or 13 year olds and up can definitely listen to it. And it's all real history. I mean, it's it's the actual story. It's I did a tremendous amount of research. I've got several books on Vlad the Impaler that I, I read in order to prepare for this. So um, I, I think you'll really enjoy it. And for the adults, you got to know this story. You'll never think of Dracula whenever he's like, I want to suck your blood. You know, that whole thing. Uh, you'll you'll never really uh, look at him the same way. You know, you'll never really think of the Dracula figure. Um, and I get into a little bit of the Strigoi or the Strigoieka which is the uh, Romanian sort of peasant folklore about uh, demons from the area. And there's all these s- sort of scientific explanations for where this notion of vampirism came from. It might be from decaying bodies because they didn't understand that decay process. And it looks like blood has been sucked out of, of the dead. Uh, but anyway, there's, there's a lot there. And then the, the name Dracula itself, it in... Uh, contemporary uh, Romanian language at the time. It wasn't called Romanian, but, you know, the various 
dialects that were being spoken in because you had uh, Vlad uh, Chepesh would have been speaking. Um, he probably spoke German. Uh, he would have spoken, uh, you know, various Eastern European regional dialects. Romania as a country did not exist at the time, um, which is where Wallachia is, the province. And it's really a principality of Hungary. So he would have spoken Hungarian. He would have spoken Turkish, spoken some German because of the Saxon transplants from Germany into uh, into this area. Anyway, it's just really cool. And I think you'll enjoy it. It's only about 45 minutes or so too. perfect listening. So while you're making dinner this weekend and putting out the pumpkins and letting the kids carve some stuff, if you want to listen, the real Jack Hill and please team do share it because we want more and more people to know about the Shields High History podcasts. I already have one Siege of Malta podcast done and we're going to do another to uh, another to complete the siege. And then we're going to move to two part Lepanto podcast and then maybe siege of Vienna one siege of Vienna two. And then we're going to move on to a different era of history. So I, I want to make sure we move around a little bit. Um, and I, I think we'll probably go to ancient ancient Greece and uh, maybe then ancient Rome. I got a lot of I, I got a lot of ideas. So you can also give me your thoughts on what on what you'd like. Um for the Shields, the Shields High podcast, great battles, great military, uh, you know, historical stories. So I hope you enjoy it, folks. We got it done as promised. And it's like I said, just all you have to do is go to uh, the various podcast platforms out there. It's totally free. Listen to it on demand whenever you want. Please share it with a friend. All righty. We also have some other stuff to get to here. What do the Democrats do when their plans don't work? They just blame everybody other than themselves. No accountability. That's one of their favorite things. No accountability at all. Perfect example of this would be the worst mayor in America, Bill de Blasio. Here he is on why we haven't gotten more stimulus money. Play 18. I had this conversation even with President Trump uh, back in the spring when I was communicating with him pretty regularly during the worst of the New York City crisis. And I said to him, if you would speak up for a stimulus, you would move the Senate with you. We'd be done here. He's never done it. You know, in the last few weeks, he suddenly got a little interested because he needed to get reelected. But no, look, if President Trump had said from the beginning, uh, a stimulus is the way forward. If he had learned a lesson of Franklin Delano Roosevelt and other great leaders, uh, we would already have that stimulus. This city and a lot of other places would be in the middle of our comeback right now. He did not provide the leadership. He literally wouldn't even comment on it for weeks on end. That was the lost opportunity. So de Blasio is a, an unrepentant liar, as you know. And the idea that if we just had a stimulus, New York City would be doing great is crazy uh, because New York City is dying because he insists on the maximum. Rest- we have restrictions in New York City that no one else even in New York State has. We're just treated like the, the worst of the worst here with the COVID lockdowns. Um, but he also is leaving out that the reason there's not a stimulus package is because Nancy Pelosi wanted a whole bunch of Democrat grab bag stuff. They wanted a whole bunch of things that have nothing to do with the stimulus. But it is it is something that everybody should remember as we get ready to go to the polls that at a time of so much economic and and emotional and psychological suffering for the country and and frustration. I mean, the word for me, I just feel frustrated by all this stuff like it really grates on me. The uh, party of Nancy Pelosi thought that it was more important to score political points than get help to people. And I hope they remember that in this election. I hope they remember that that's 
what the priority list was for that's it Pelosi. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Harsanyi time, everybody. Our buddy David Harsanyi in the mix once again to tell us about everything that's going on right now and also going to make all the right predictions for next week's enormously important election. He's a senior writer at National Review. If you want to read his stuff there, which you should, go to nationalreview.com. Mr. David. Good to have you back, sir. Always a pleasure to be here, Buck. So we often on the right, those of us in conservative media, talk about media bias. It's kind of the way that things are because we are outnumbered really 10 to 1 or something close to that by people on the other side of the political spectrum. So this is not a new conversation. And it's when it's one that it's a it's a war, though. It's an ongoing intellectual exchange, I I should say about why does this happen? Why is the country in this circumstance where you've got 10 to 1 people from one political party that pretend that they're not, but they are in the media? Okay, is this actually and and I I really mean this, what we've seen from the suppression of the of the New York Post story to today and the way they've ignored the Hunter Biden stuff and also yesterday, CNN, MSNBC, no stories at all on 33.1 percent GDP growth in the third quarter. Just ignoring it like it didn't even happen. Is this the is this the most egregious it's ever been or is it just like because we're in an election, we feel that way? Uh, no, it's the most egregious has ever been. It's um, it's corrupt. I mean, I think that the whole media, I mean, there are still a few reporters here and there who I, who I like and I think try to do a good job. But in general, I just think political media is completely corrupt and uh, they are trying to help, you know, a, a candidate win Joe Biden. Um, Donald Trump, because they have convinced themselves he's completely evil, he's a Nazi, that now they have license to essentially act as defenders of democracy by running for the other candidate. And uh, there's nothing we can do about it. You're not going to get the pressure is too overwhelming, even for good reporters in that kind of environment to write the stories that are necessary. We always blame the reporters, but it's also about the editors and the lack of oversight and what they do and the lack of professionalism. And it's just finished. So you have to build up your own organizations and start doing your own reporting, even though it's really hard to do that. It's very expensive to do that. Uh, there is no other way for Republicans or conservatives to really get their message out. Right. And, and you, you've you led into exactly what I, what I wanted to ask you about next, which is, uh, is this something that now people recognize is, is irreparable and therefore is there a willingness to understand the only way to really handle this and we could talk about pulling section 230 all day and from the from the tech companies i don't think that's the panacea that a lot of people believe that it is um i think that that will lead to a lot of problems on its own too maybe on balance it's the way to go but it's definitely not gonna it's not like all of a sudden twitter is not gonna be run by a bunch of woke 25 year olds i mean one thing i mean i remember david um at at a media company i worked with at one point I, I, i will not uh out that media company by name. It's not not the one I work for, not one I work for now. I will say that uh, the actual owner and I were talking at one point and, and he was expressing his concern about 23, 24 year old employees who are super woke, eff- effectively staging a like a, a walkout and a coup and trashing what had been built by the owner over many, many years. I don't think people understand that, that that's actually the dynamic that's playing out in a lot of these institutions including legacy media institutions now yeah i mean this is a big this is a big bigger and deeper discussion but 
you know, and I sound like an old, I'm going to sound like an old man now, but in the old days when I started out, um, you know, I started at the Associated Press working overnight, writing headlines and cut lines, right? I didn't, no one gave me like a column when I was 22 years old to start, you know, spouting off on stuff. You have a lot of young people, I think, who haven't actually like reported on a story or haven't gone through the, the steps to build up the confidence and the writing technique and, and, and the, um, well, the confidence in the sense that you can't be bullied. You, you can't, you know, it's easy to create an echo chamber as Ben Rhodes does because you, when you have people who aren't that educated on a topic or haven't been out there or easily cowed. So it, there are a lot of problems with all of that. It's not like everyone is a communist who works there, even though what you're saying about woke people seems to be true in many legacy media places. But you also have just people aren't confident enough to have good opinions and to fight back or to be contrarian or to be independent. And that's also a problem. Now, David, uh, you I'm sure know about the Glenn Greenwald walkout. And, you know, Glenn Greenwald, he's I will say this. He's an interesting character uh, and he he does stick to his guns on things when he's taking incoming. And I respect that. I think he's almost like comically wrong on a number of things, but that's okay. He would feel the same way. I'm sure about pretty much everything that that I say. I think that he has very, I think he has very poor judgment. And what's interesting to me is on the right, we have this impulse to say, Oh, well, look how we have, you know, finally someone who's brave enough to speak out against, you know, what's going on at a left-wing publication. But I just feel like this is what the left is now. And so anybody who turns around and says, wait a second, you're going to censor me? Yeah, that's what the left is. The, the, the belief that the left is where journalism and speaking truth to power really happens is a fantasy. So it's very hard for me to feel a whole lot of of sympathy. I mean, look, I feel human sympathy for anyone who like loses their job. But Glenn's a millionaire. He's fine. Uh, but anybody with sympathy, I feel like this is who you guys are now. So, yeah, of course they're going to censor you because that's what the left is. Well, yeah, I mean, the journalists out there, media reporters at CNN, let's just say, are the leading proponents of censorship right now in American life. The, the, the journalism professors out there are the leading proponents of censorship in American life. These are the people who want to censor views they disagree with or that they find, um, you know, ugly and uh, that is an incredible turnaround from what it used to be. So, yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, Glenn Greenwald, who I obviously disagree with on almost everything, um, you know, I still respect him. I mean, it's, it's, if you stand by your principles, it's something to, res- to respect. I mean, and what I like about him, other than, you know, the specifics about what he says, is that he's willing to challenge his own side. Yes. And, uh, yeah. you know, and he's willing to take positions that will make him unpopular so that's yeah but i mean listen you're right he's probably has a lot of money and it's not as big a deal for him which comes back to what i was saying before if you have a young person who's making thirty thousand dollars or something they're going to have a tough time being brave like glenn greenwald is brave in fact they won't be brave and you can't really blame them right so um that's a big problem yeah we're speaking to david harsani at nationalreview.com David, we're going into this election and it's fun to make all these predictions. It's almost a catharsis now because we're, we've got all this, uh, you know, the, just the, the osmosis that occurs, all the, the incoming you have of, you know, different ideas and what, who's right and what's going to happen. And it's just everywhere. right? We're in this sea of election noise going into this. What do you think really matters and what do you think is really going to happen? 
I just would say uh, through the years, I've pretty much been right on every presidential election, you know, except last time I was very wrong. Um, so I'm a little I'm gun shy on even like not making predictions, which I typically wouldn't do, but even saying what I think might happen. Because let me be honest with you. I read a story about how Biden's going to have a landslide. I'm like, yeah, it seems like it could definitely happen. Then I read about how Trump's going to win. I'm like, plausible. You know, like I could see the whole range of outcomes happening and um, and all of that. But I will say that there, there are a lot of things that don't make sense to me when I look at the polls, especially national polls, and I look anecdotally, admittedly, at, at what's going on outside in America and how excited people are and the enthusiasm for Donald Trump, even in places like the suburbs of Maryland, where I live, and the lack of excitement over Joe Biden. So I don't know, maybe there's a big um, silent majority out there who's going to vote for Biden, but I could easily see Trump. I mean, I, I should say, I wouldn't be surprised if Trump wins Arizona and Pennsylvania, and that's the election. I mean, I think, I think Pennsylvania, obviously, I'm not saying anything you know, really surprising here. I think whoever wins Pennsylvania is going to win the election. And I just, when I look at the polls and I look at the spreads, I think that can happen. Uh, but I'm because of coronavirus and because of everything that's going on and because of, of uh, you know, what the media is doing right now, I don't trust pollsters that much either. Well, this is what I, I was going to, I want to ask you, uh, I want to drill, that was what I was going to ask you. David, I swear I didn't give him the questions beforehand, folks. But what I was going to say is, given what we've seen from the media, where their credibility, it's a joke, right? I mean, CNN, fake Tapper, Stelter, you know, Le Mans, the whole crew, it's, it's preposterous. They're not journalists. They should be. I really believe that in an honest world, they would just be getting checks from the Biden campaign at this point. I, like, I think that would be fair. Um, and that would be more honest. And we're told that fact checkers in the, you know, these fact checking organizations, they're neutral arbiters. And then we just see. Fact check after fact check. That's laughable. It'll be, you know, um, mostly true. Yes, Joe Biden did say he wanted to ban fracking, comma. But, you know, Trump is uh, orange man bad. And it's like, well, what is that? It has nothing to do with like they're laughable. Why do we think that polling companies? I know they can't be wrong by that much because then that undermines the same way that, you know, CNN can't say that, you know, China invaded New York City yesterday, right? Like there are some limitations on what even a propaganda outfit can do. But why do we think the same pressures that exist for fact checkers and for journalists don't exist for polling companies at some level on this one issue at this time of the Joe Biden election? Well, my, my, my friend Molly Hemingway was saying this yesterday. I think she's right that you'll see every presidential election right before, you know, the last polls, everything will tighten so that they can be within the plausible, you know, spread of saying that, well, you know, we were pretty close. You know, they always come together. No one really very few make definitive, you know, um, definitive election predictions in that way. Um, I don't know, I guess, because pollsters who are right I don't know, actually. I think posters who are right are, are respected and will be listened to and probably make more money, right, in the end. But, I, but even as I say that, I'm thinking to myself, most people just want posters who tell them what they want right. to hear. And uh, so I, I don't know. I think yeah, I mean, who are the posters? Maybe- who are the posters who were so right in 2016 that they, you know, made millions more dollars and, uh, you know, everyone's I mean, I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm just saying I don't know who they are. Yeah, I mean, I, I could I feel like it. I could guess just as well as most pollsters. I mean, I I would say you know, uh, Trump's going to win Texas, right? I'll put that in the red. I don't really even need to call anyone. But then I wonder, do I know that because of pollsters or do I know that because of history? 
I, I find polling interesting because it tells me about trends. I look at a, a trajectory, right, of how the line moves. I think that that is kind of interesting. But even that, when you look at the Pennsylvania polls from 2016, the trajectory is going up for Hillary the whole time. And like two weeks before, it just slams down. And you're seeing the same thing in Arizona right now with Biden. So what do polls, why am I watching polls for months and months after end if really only the last week of polling matters at all? Um, I don't know. I saw a story in Politico that, you know, that Democrats are kind of nervous right now because turnout's not very high in Miami and places like that. I, I see Biden going to Michigan, Minnesota and Wisconsin last week before an election where he's been in you know, hiding for most of the time. I don't know. Maybe it means nothing, but it doesn't to me that doesn't intimate that they think they're going to be blowing anyone out. All right, David, for the record. And we, we promise if you're wrong, we'll pretend this conversation didn't happen, although hundreds of thousands of people across America are going to hear it. Uh, who's going to win? No, man. I'm not going to do it. Come on. <laughs> Come on, Harsanyi. Pull the trigger. Who do you think is going to I'm actually I'll say this. I'm probably going to be completely wrong, but I'm more bullish on the Senate for Republicans for some reason. I feel like they are going to pull it out in, 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 in Iowa and they will pull it out in North Carolina. And I think I I see like a 51 a seat majority for Republicans, probably. Um, but with the presidency, I'm not sure. I think I think, you know, I don't know. How All about right. You? He's officially. Well, I don't you, know. Yeah, on this did one. you make a prediction? Oh, I've said did it's going to be Trump, man. It's Trump. Trump's going to win this thing. Right. I'm, I'm a believer. A is it going to be close? I'm a Trump lever. <laughs> All right. <laughs> David Hersani, everybody. Dave, we'll have you back when we see what the final Tally is here. Go check out his latest at nationalreview.com. David, have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I am out there uh, probably doing more than I should, but I'm always masked. And yesterday I had the, uh, 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 the some of the auto workers who I thought were going to go back to Joe Biden had, were very clear with me last night. They were voting for President Trump. And I think what we're seeing now is that on the ground, people have to turn out their votes. As you noted, President Trump's coming back on Friday. Uh, uh, my grapevine tells me he'll probably be back again before Election Day. Democrat Debbie, Ging- Debbie Dingle there. I had some auto workers I thought were going to go for Biden told me they were going to vote for Trump last night. Yeah, I I certainly hope there's a lot more of this. It would be I, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but oh, my gosh, it would be so amazing if the libs were all totally wrong about all this stuff again. Wouldn't it be so fun if after they've been telling us for months, Joe Biden's going to win. Look at how far ahead he is in the polls. It's like they've learned nothing from 2016. It's like uh, they want to relive that all over again. And remember that that timeless meme of it's a a young woman um, with a like a kind of a knit hat on with glasses who's screaming at the sky. And I will not try to recreate the scream, but it really felt like that was the uh, that was the encapsulation of the entire Democrat mindset after the Trump victory the last time around. It's going to be like that times 100 this time. Because they've thrown everything they've got at this. And if Joe Biden can't beat Donald Trump in a once in a century pandemic year, uh, the Democrats have got a problem. 
they got a problem. So they, I think the stakes for them emotionally as well as politically are incredibly high. And I also think that if we're looking for some of the early signs of why there may be some trouble here from their side of things. And I, I know there's some other there's some republic. All you have to do if you want to be nervous all weekend right now is look at a lot of the polls. They're going to have Trump way behind in, in key states and in so many states that he can't win. But I don't believe that stuff. I think Trump's going to win. And if you're looking for reasons that make sense for why Trump could still win this thing, uh, all you have to do is start looking at some of the some of the other data points and some of the anecdotal stuff that's coming up. And he, even here's one from from Nancy Pelosi, because remember, mail in voting, they were expecting that mail in voting was going to be their their savior. But why would Nancy Pelosi be telling people, no, no, go vote in person as well? I've got a theory on this. Um, play eight. Play clip eight, Mark. So again, uh, this weekend shall be very interesting to see how many more people will vote in advance. I hope that people will not depend on the mail because they have done all they can to dismantle uh, the uh, postal system. But I salute our postal workers, our letter carriers and those who are making the best of the situation. But even uh, the Postal Service is saying it's too late now to mail a first class piece of mail to take more than five or six days to reach its destination is uh, that speaks for itself. Trump dismantled the Postal Service. That's a lie. But Nancy still tells that lie because she doesn't care about the truth. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into the tea leaves here a little too much. But I do think that they don't like the uh, in some of the key places. I'm sure the mail in voting in California is, you know, completely through the roof and everything. But I feel like in some of these other places, they're not seeing the. The early numbers they want to see. Maybe I'm just going to tell myself that so I can get a good night's sleep this weekend and not worry too much about this election. But you know what else, folks? We're all going to get a good night's sleep no matter what. We're going to make it through one way or the other. We'll be all right. Because we're not a bunch of lib wimps that are going to cry if our candidate doesn't win. Whatever. We'll be all right. But Trump's going to win. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want to send us your roll call thoughts or team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. If you'd like to email them on the gram, the Instagram, that is. You should be, first of all, following me, Buck Sexton, please. And if not for my political, political wit and wisdom, uh, then for the Tallulah photos, the just uh, proliferation of Tallulah photos, because she's such a cute little French bulldog. And uh, yes, let's get to a roll call here in a moment. But uh, I, I always like to check in on the man behind the scenes. You know, the man behind the guy making the things happen. Producer Mark. Uh, sir, how, what's, what's going on with the weekend? Anything exciting for you and Mrs. Mark? Just kind of uh, resting and, and uh, approaching the week ahead as we go. You're aware into the- that next week is going to be like, Faster, Bruce or Mark, faster. Yeah. More, more. I'm aware. That's why I'm just going to have a restful weekend, watch some football. That's it. What's the like you you have time to plan it out 
and you can uh, you can have let's say do takeout any food what is that when, when you're like i'm going all in and i'm gonna just tear it up with takeout like i, I don't care about anything other than the maximum indulgence what's your go-to You'll probably be surprised by this, but I love Greek takeout. You can't replicate it at home very well. Hmm. I absolutely love it. Always you know, I lived in Greece for about uh, six, six or eight weeks, a um, long time ago when I was in college over the summer. And I pretty much lived on, I really didn't have any, any money at the time, and I pretty much lived on uh, uh, gyros, which people refer to here as gyros. Yes. But in Greece, they call them gyros. Uh, there. I mean, it's it's like warm, delicious bread, which I used to be able to eat, of course, wrapped with like these sliced meat from. I don't even know what you call it, like the sliced meat from the big spinning meat cone. You yeah, know it's I mean? usually lamb. Yeah, no, but I, I know. I mean that. I mean what? The, <laughs> I mean what the Greek word for it is. Um, it, it's shwerma is what you call it in um in Arab in uh, Arabic and like Lebanese and uh, Near Eastern cuisine. But the see, this is what happens. We finish the show and then I'm hungry. Uh, and then they would take French fries, a little bit of uh, of a uh, tomato and lettuce shredded and then French fries stuffed in to this like hot bun. They put it in and then they put a big thing of uh, Greek yogurt, like a big just dollop of Greek yogurt tzatziki on it. sauce. Yeah, that's tzatziki sauce. And it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I can tell you, it's like, whoo, it's a great regional cuisine sandwich. I, I'm actually thinking of a Greek food. Is that your go-to? Yes, that would be that and some lemon potatoes or some rice, the pita bread. I, I go for souvlaki, which is the chunks. Ooh. Yeah, love it. All right. All right. Well, hopefully you'll get some of that this weekend, buddy. You got to stock up. Because, I hope so. Uh, next, next week, you're going to be stuffing a hot pocket in your mouth while I'm saying, Mark, it's coming down to two states. So get ready for it. Very excited. Very exciting stuff. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton for a roll call first up here. And uh, Matt. Oh, and please go to BuckSexton.com. We got stories posted there now every day. Noon improved site. BuckSexton.com. We got to be pushing it more. I want you going to it. Check it out. I'm writing an editorial this weekend. It'll be posted on Monday on BuckSexton.com. So we're going to make sure that that's more of a part of what, what we're doing and what you're seeing here. So uh, that's that's where I want things to be. I mean, like, for example, right now, if you were to go to BuckSexton.com, uh, you would see stories. And it's a lot of it's stuff that I cover here in radio, but it gives you the written in-depth with some of the links and some of the background. Uh, so BuckSexton.com is going to become our one-stop shop for all things Freedom Hut. But, you know, here we got Bobolinsky questioned by FBI as material witness in an ongoing investigation on Hunter Biden, that's on BuckSaxon.com right now. So please do go check out that story. And like I said, there'll be more and more stuff there all the time. And here we are. We've got uh, Matt first up here. Buck, right now I'm reading The Devil and Karl Marx by Professor Paul Kengor. It is an excellently detailed deep dive into Marx and other leaders that followed his ideology. As a bonus, the brief forward is by our own dear Michael Knowles. My question to you is, how is it possible the average random Marxist, as in someone with no political power, just a lame rando, can't see that Marxism, communism, etc., are literally just exploitation of the worker in order to give power to the state? It's right there in Marx and Engels' 10-point plan. 
Furthermore, how can they quibble over Marx's intentions with private property when, again, they're right there in black and white? I think blind denial and communism go hand in hand. Thank you so much for your great work with producer Mark. I learn so much every day from you guys. I pass the buck when I can. Shields high. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your support and for your very kind uh, note. And I would say this about about Mark. First of all, most of the people that are Marxists in America uh, wouldn't agree that they're Marxists. They don't, they don't even really know what their belief system, what their ideology is. Uh, they just know who they oppose. Right now they oppose Trump, but in other contexts, it's about what they're against much more than what they're for. And what they're for is usually a very broad slew of concepts uh, that fall under the Marxist umbrella, but they don't understand the philosophy. They certainly don't understand the history of Marx and Engels and the rise of socialist systems and socialist ideology around the world. They just don't know. But remember, socialism is really more a religion than an ideology of economics, because ultimately it's all rooted in what is good for the collective and who's determining what is good, the people who are running the socialist system, right? The priests within the socialist system, so to speak. Uh, and it also is contrary to human nature. It, it, it is all rests upon a belief that if human beings do not benefit from putting themselves to the discomfort of, of, of additional labor and stress and and effort, uh, they will continue as if they were being rewarded for those things because it's for the good of the collective. That's not how human beings think. That's not how nature works. That's not how this functions. So, yeah, there you uh, there you have it. That's not how we are. I mean, in a state of nature. Uh, someone's going to be like, ants, Buck, what about ants? They'll die to protect the queen. People watch a lot of those nature shows. Eric, in the spirit of open debate, I thought I'd share a brief bit of light on the state of FedEx and UPS. I work for a logistics company and manage probably 20 parcel carrier shipments per day, along with other modes. Currently, FedEx ground and UPS ground services are losing shipments at a rate of two or three per week. Issues include boxes being delivered without their contents, case open, contents fell out, FedEx tape back, uh, tapes them back up and delivers them. The contents fall out and they notify us the contents of the packages are missing. The shipping goes missing completely and tracking updates stop at random node in the system or the shipment goes missing for a month and then shows up at the shipper. Had Tucker consulted me, I would have told him making a, uh, I'm making a copy and handling the original, handing the original to a trusted person and flying the copy out to L.A., why would you send the originals via FedEx or UPS? A plane ticket from L.A. to New York is about 200 bucks right now, more than shipping via FedEx uh, first class. So a few things, because uh, we had updates on this, Eric, that came in late last night and I did not include on this show. Uh, they found the contents of that Tucker uh, Biden documents package and Tucker did an update last night on his show about it. And it seemed it seemed like where we left this is they found it, but then the company wouldn't say how this disappeared. And then beyond that, another layer to add into all of this is that uh, Tucker and his team did make Xeroxes or they did have copies because that just felt like, OK, well, how could you? Not? I mean, come on. Right. If someone gives you documents of that effect, of perhaps a presidential election, I mean, you're going to make Xeroxes. They did make Xeroxes. So it was really just more about what our friend Ned Ryan said, which is the belief that perhaps somebody was monitoring communications either at Fox or with Tucker. And that's a scary thought. Now, is that what really happened? It seems like maybe this just was a thing that occurred. I, you know, I don't know. 
but it did it did smell fishy. It smelled fishy. And uh, all you have to do is leave some scrot out on the table for a few days, and you're going to be saying, what's that funky smell? Chris. Hey there, Buck. Uh, I j- hey there, Buck. Read the English, Buck. Just wanted to drop a line and say, I really enjoyed the Real Dra- uh, Dracula Shields High podcast. Thanks for doing it. Keep them coming, and thanks for continually doing what you do, Shields High. Well, Chris, thank you. Appreciate you writing in. Best thing you could do, though, is get five friends to listen to the Shields High podcast of Dracula. Be like, yo, you should just listen to this. Even if you're not into you don't have to say yo, but even if you're not into uh, podcasts in general or you don't listen to talk radio, it's just like a like a fun thing to put on the background while you're doing some work or you're uh, you're, you know. I don't know. I was going to say folding laundry or cleaning up the kitchen or impaling someone impaling someone yeah i mean at least you'd be like i'm not the only one look at how many people vlad impaled back in the day which i still don't even i I describe the mechanics of impalement it feels like it feels like a lot of work just gonna say you gotta hoist so you stick the spear through somebody and there are different entry points for impalement we don't have to get into that on the national show right now but uh, you stick the spear through somebody and then you flip them up so they're kind of like a human kebab now we're talking about food again. And and this was a, a common practice in this part of, uh, you know, in, in this part of the world, in the Ottoman Empire. They think it comes from the Asian steppe. So from the nomadic horse peoples, similar to what they have with the Mongols. That was where it was first practiced because they were they were fans of really horrific punishments, not only as deterrence for people because of how painful and horrible they were, but also because of the symbolism that they would then have of a human being stuck through and elevated up in the air, you know, in agony on this pole, on the spear. Um, but I'm just saying, it feels like it'd be a lot of work. You impa- I mean, and Dracula impaled thousands of people. That's that's a lot of... Now, he wasn't doing it himself, but he was ordering people to do it. And, you know, there are easier ways. I mean, I kind of understand why they went with the guillotine after all. I know this is a very macabre discussion, but... All right. Um, skipping past crazy town here. Josh... Conservatives and conservative media need to start beating the drum about impeaching Biden on day one of his presidency presidency. Should he win the election? Leftists must live by the rules they've created. Well, Josh, I don't know, man. I can't even I can't even bring myself to think right now about what we're going to do if Biden wins. I, I you know, we'll be OK. I don't mean that. I just mean I don't have the mental energy to get into how we're going to be flipping and be the uh, hashtag resistance all of a sudden, you know, we got to see. We got to see how it goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, now impeaching Biden. I don't know. Do we want to do, do we, what does that really accomplish? We're not going to remove him from office. We're going to try to use their tactics against them. Well, to what end? And we don't want to just be no better than them. So that's always a consideration, I think, with all of this, too. Um, anyway, Josh. Right. Oh, no, that was Josh. Glenn. Hey, Buck, I'm from Massachusetts and I always vote in person Election Day. This year, I had no choice but to vote early. I found that you will fill out the ballot, put it in an envelope and seal it, and they hold it until Election Day when they'll open it and someone will put it in the machine for you. In a blue state like Massachusetts, should I be concerned that they can easily see my vote and discard it if they want to? Love the show. Keep up the good work. Uh, Glenn. I don't think you should be concerned about that, but I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you the truth. I don't know. I mean, 
probably won't happen. Does somebody really want to risk maybe going to prison to get rid of your ballot? Now, the answer is not nobody would ever do that. But I think I think very, very few people would do that. Even even some pretty crazy Democrats would realize that that's just not a especially in Massachusetts, my friend. Remember, it's Massachusetts. It's going blue. I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news here. But uh, Massachusetts is going blue. And there's so much of it. Like Massachusetts is another of these places. There's so much about it I love. And then there's its politics. And I just want to have a sit down with everybody in Massachusetts. You'd be like, why are you driving your car to vote for Democrats? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. More roll call. And... Let me just say that The Mandalorian season two is out this weekend and I'm excited. I'm going to be watching that. It's so good. So good. And I like my show Barbarian. It's a German show about the barbarians who are German, believe it or not. So like, oh, excuse me, ancient Rome. Why are you showing up here and trying to cut off all of our heads unless we do all these things for you? We don't like this. And then you'll have to realize that it's all of it's a subtitle. So they're yelling at each other in the German, like, ah, blah, blah, you know, all this stuff. And you're like, oh, that's so much more believable that uh, the German barbarians actually speak in the German back in the first century BC or AD or whenever this is. So, uh, yeah, there you go. All right. Those are my two shows for the weekend, Barbarians and... uh, Mandalorian season two. I, I just I'm really hoping they don't Mandalorian season one was so good that there's a part of me that worries that it'll be kind of like true detective, which was amazing in season one. And in season two, it was like they were just sticking a red hot poker in the center of my brain. It was so bad. So we'll see. Peter's up here. He says, uh, Buck, Mark deserves a pay raise. Thank you both for producing the most intelligent podcast in Downloadium. Most entertaining and intelligent. Love your impersonations. Your Cuomo is over the top. You need to roll out some extra Hillary before Halloween. Trick or treat! As an aside from the documentary, The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, check that, out. check that one out. It's about a young boy in the 1970s who was diagnosed with a rare immune disorder. He spent his entire life within the confines of a pressure-sealed plastic enclosure cut off from direct contact with other humans. He was only allowed outside wearing a pressurized spacesuit. He died before his 13th birthday. Medical intervention kept him alive, but cut off from life. And I have to imagine he was pretty miserable. I think medical science has basically adopted this approach as a model for combating COVID. Again, love your show. Keep calm. Carry on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Tyler writes, hey, Buck, I'm a multiple time felon that has spent most of my adult life and never been partial to any political party. I spent a lot of time opposing police and authorities of all sorts. But the last few years, Trump has been a huge part of my daily life. And I stumbled across your show and has been the soundtrack to every work morning. People like you and producer Mark have helped me see how insane I was uh, taking from our amazing country instead of pushing for the best I can do to help improve the life of others. Thank you for exposing the truth and you're sharing your impeccable impersonations. I am especially like Joy Behar. Hilarious. Keep on keeping on and shields high. Hey, man, Tyler, that's inspirational, man. Good for you. God bless. Stay in the fight. It's never, never too late to turn things around and become the person you've always been meant to be. And it sounds like you've done exactly that. So God bless. High five. Everybody rest up this weekend. Shields high.